0: This is Policy on Purpose, a podcast produced by the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. We take you behind the scenes of policy with the people who help shape it. For more, visit lbj.utexas.edu. Hello, everyone. This is Angela Evans, the dean of the LBJ School, and I am so pleased uh, to introduce to you Aldo Flores Quiroga. Uh,
1: That's very well said. Thank, thank you very much. Very good.
0: Uh, <laughs> I had I studied Spanish, and I was an exchange student in Ecuador when I was like 16, and I think part of that just helped me, but I wish I spoke, I wish I speak better, but I don't. So, but I have you here,
1: Great and I here. am so
0: happy to have you here, uh, and for those of you who don't know, and can I call you Aldo? Please do. Okay. If you don't know Aldo, Aldo was very key Uh, in the Mexican government, uh, the last administration. He was the former Deputy Secretary of Energy for Hydrocarbons uh, at Mexico's Ministry of Energy. But before that, he was involved in a lot of issues and strategies for uh, Mexico, not only within the country, but also around the world, represented Mexico in a lot of these international um, arenas, and actually served as Secretary General of the International Energy Forum. Uh, And that was for five years. So that was Almost big, five yes. Five years. In Saudi
1: Arabia.
0: That's such a such a different culture. Like different you're going culture. from Mexico to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> but what it gave you, yeah. I think, and this is what we want to talk about, is a perspective of not only, you know, from your academic grounding and your work in Mexico, but The world, you know, looking at a collaborative environment where we're dealing with some very important issues that face humanity, which is our energy and our use of hydrocarbons and just how we make the planet safe and yet productive for people. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about uh, and have our people who are listening to us hear from you, you've been in this, even though you are young, you've been in this quite a while. And you've seen a lot of different dimensions in this, from the academic dimension to a very, you know, state level and different agencies mm-hmm. in, a, in a country as well as international. What do you see as some of the barriers in collaboration when we try to collaborate with folks who have different um, approaches? What, what's sort of your secret sauce in trying to work with these people? Wow, what a, what a question. I, 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 a secret sauce. Let me, I, I want
1: to try to find it, but let me first say that I'm so happy to be here. I'm a big admirer of uh, LBJ and uh, such a famous school. And uh, so it's great to be around and having a conversation with you and uh, learning about all these activities that the school is doing. Thank you. Um, well, yes, my experience has been very much about uh, building bridges, uh, between disciplines and between countries and and even between uh, sides in terms of uh, the oil market, producers and consumers. And um, I don't know if I have a secret sauce, but uh, clearly one has to understand the other side very well. One has to understand where they are coming from, what their interests are, and uh, work from there to find the connections. Obviously one has to also understand one side and oh, what great. one is looking for. But um, these type of interactions require a win-win mindset. There's always a space for finding agreements and and building up a collaboration. Uh, This is, by the way, when academic efforts become very interesting, when they become transdisciplinary. I've been doing economics and, and politics for a long time. I did so in academia. And in the space of policy and international affairs, you do have to have an interdisciplinary mindset, and you do have to look at uh, a broader picture to understand what is the space for negotiation and reaching agreements and pushing an agenda that is productive forward.
0: Well, there's there's a lot of complexity in that answer. So one, you know, one is you know (laughs) very abstract answer. But no, there's a it's complex, and this is what we're trying to get at when we're looking at uh, public policy schools and helping our students understand the complexity, but also give them the skill sets that they can actually go into that and be successful. So one dimension of what you're talking about is just a multi-disciplinary. Dimension. So you understand the law, you understand economics, you understand the expertise that it takes to be in the energy sector, Mm -hmm. because all of those have different ways of approaching a problem. So that's very important to do. And so that's one dimension, which is difficult. Uh, And the second dimension then is to thinking about your national, uh, you know, what's good for the nation, whatever nation you're in, but still having to work in a global community (laughs) where there's other nation states, other sovereignties that have their own um, approach to things and how you blend that together, I think, it's, it's. I think that's very hard, and that's what we're trying to think about. How do you teach students to do that? You know, and um, how, and you seem to have just moved into it and been very successful. But what can can you point to something in your background, your educational background, your experience background? You said, I can see, I can now see this picture, and that's how I need to behave in this world.
1: We were so very kind with your words, but and uh, let's see i one key experience or insight that I had upon moving between countries is that we tend or at least I did uh, to have our reference cultural references or points of reference as given as if they were the only way of looking at the planet or even at an issue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that might apply within a country. Um, and now that I'm visiting Texas, I see that Texans have a different perspective of the world than Californians or maybe Exactly. <laughs> and coasters,
0: sometimes even right? Texans don't have the same perspective on <laughs> so, things. Exactly.
1: So it's not all too different from that, uh, trying to understand uh, that other, what these other culture values and why that is important. And... Um, That is a different mindset. It allows for a different conversation and even understanding life and policy from a different angle in a way that I believe is very, can be very useful. The other thing that is, this is a little bit different, but it's worthwhile for public policy students to understand, is that there's a moment in the decision-making hierarchy Mm -hmm. that solutions are not straightforward. That is not just about, okay, I, I don't know, optimized uh, this equation or I found this uh, solution. Every, at, at some point, the solutions involve very hard trade-offs and you're most of the time uh, choosing between two bads, between outcomes that are not going to be comfortable uh, regardless of what you choose. And we do tend sometimes to think in academia that there's a, this very, I don't know, yellow path to paradise Mm is very nice uh, uh, solution that uh, can solve many other things. And it's not like that. It's, uh, you solve one thing, but at the expense of not solving another. And that's a constant.
0: Yeah, that's, again, that's really very wise, because one of the things we talk about is, first of all, what is the problem, making sure that everybody can at least agree And what the problem is. And that in and of itself is a major issue in many realms. But then it is, okay, if you have this problem and it's come to you, what do you do about it? And there's not the way. There's many ways. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is a critical thinking is if I go this way, these tend to be the consequences. And you try to foresee that. Is it feasible? Uh, economically or socially or you know globally uh, and if it when will we know if it doesn't work so those types of things I think we can talk about them but I think one of the things you said is if you don't really have the experience of being in a different setting with different people you just can't quite understand how to work that you know
1: and well you said it better than I than I did
0: uh, <laughs> no I don't think so like, but but,
1: it's, but yeah that, that's that's definitely one part of it no
0: so what did you find the most difficult adjustment for you when you went into, let's say, when you, anytime you moved into an international setting, what for you personally was very, outside of the, you know, the, the disruption of your your home, et cetera, when you went into these different international types of uh, associations, what did you find the most difficult thing that you had to work on uh, to feel like you were successful?
1: Well, let me answer that on two levels. One is just let's say, cultural, personal, but I think it's worthwhile saying it. Uh, at least for me, I um, tended to make things more exotic than they were. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> so I thought that some things were, oh, this is so different, and then you discover it's just an, the same, a different expression of the same human experience and principle and yearning and want and whatever. Mm-hmm. So if you move abroad and do that type of work, don't make things more exot- exotic than they are. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you've got a different setting. I mean, that's different. That's true. It's like, oh, I'm going to Arabia or I'm going to, you know, Morocco Correct. Or, Correct. yes. No. Yeah.
1: But for example, we from the Western Hemisphere tend to think of the Middle East as extremely different. And yes, there are very uh, there are marked differences. But um, people are people everywhere, and and uh, families want to grow children's happy happy children and yeah. and, and etc. So. They care about the same things. They do them differently. Of course, we have different perspectives on how to address them and, uh, and the rest. But uh, anyway, it's worthwhile keeping that, that mindset. No? And I guess that applies as well in, in settings like I was a facilitator as part of my job when I was working in Saudi Arabia between producers and consumers. The, this organization was made to promote dialogue mainly between OPEC and IEA members. It was born when the Gulf War of the 1990s took place and Mm -hmm. there was a major price increase in the oil market. And therefore people were worried about energy security and the stability of the oil market and what might happen to supply and investment and the rest. And um, so this was eventually uh, formalized into a process that is this organization. And it's now not very useful to think about producers and consumers on different sides of the table. Uh, take the U.S. The U.S. is both a huge pro- consumer, but now a huge producer mm-hmm. also of, of oil and gas. And uh, so the roles are shifting. And in a way, they were never um, opposite. Uh, they're complementary. And one has to understand that to, to think more creatively about solutions.
0: You know, Aldo, you're saying something that we had a podcast uh, previous with mm-hmm. uh, Susan Gordon, who is, you know, the principal uh, deputy for um, director for a national intelligence of uh, national intelligence. Mm-hmm. She said a very similar thing. When you're talking about it used to be the privates and then the publics. It used to be, you know, the federal government and then the business owners. And that's blending. And the our our big challenge, I think, for those of us who are trying to grow the next generation that's going to move in that arena is how do you prepare students for those that kind of blend when all the historical underpinnings have been like, there's two sides and there's two factions Correct. or there's, you know, and they're discreet when they're really not.
1: Correct. No, and even in this world of social media, uh, Twitter tends to polarize very yes. easily. And yeah. it's just worthwhile to step back and remember that we are on the same boat it's not different sides uh, not at least in those very basic terms and uh, there must be a way to find um, a productive uh, living together to, to make a, a better planet Mm-hmm. even though it sounds that romantic. No, but no, yes. but no, th- no, it is. But I
0: think that's, again, uh, what we've heard from a lot of people who we brought on here who are exemplar people who've stayed in, in service is that. You know, this idea that there is this greater good uh, and that their eye is on that ball and they have different ways of approaching it, but it doesn't sound corny. I mean, that's exactly what we're hearing consistently about people who've come to us uh, and visited with us on this podcast.
1: And you have to believe it. Uh, my take is that we do that. We do this type of things because we believe in them. Mm-hmm. We can believe that we can make a difference, that it will will really make things better. Otherwise, um, it's just uh, doing one more job.
0: Although mm-hmm. well, I want to talk to you a little bit about something we're trying to work with. So many of your jobs required coalition building. You had to have coalitions. You had to have colleagues. You had to have cooperatives. So in a coalition, you have multiple players. How did you work it when you had maybe one out of that coalition that really did not want to work with you? I mean, how did you get people who normally would not work together, let me put it that way? Mm-hmm. How do you get people who normally don't want to work together to work together and stay together then after that? So it's not like a jump start every time you have a different issue. Do you, do you have any ways that you felt were successful in terms of trying to get there? Because I think that's one thing we have to teach our students how to do.
1: Well, um, the first thing is don't add to the noise. Uh, don't become a part of the of the polarization, especially if you want to build that coalition. So mm-hmm. acknowledge what uh, the different parties uh, are interested in addressing and, and solving and and be conducive to a process of of exchange that leads there. And um, that doesn't mean that there's a guaranteed uh, solution or agreement or an outcome, but it does sustain a process Mm -hmm. that uh, eventually might lead to finding that gate to the right uh, approach in which everyone can participate. That's one thing. The other thing is that having a mandate in itself means that one can already build a coalition it means that people agreed that even though they disagree there's someone there that will try to find mm-hmm. a solution. So keeping so that they have
0: helps. to have an end goal that everyone's agreed to yeah, yeah?
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, at least or at least an agreement about the principles that matter right mm-hmm. and uh, if you think of the i don't know the success of of the us uh, democracy there's an agreement on what the principles are there might be a lot of shifts in who's in government or not or policy and the rest, but the basic rules of the game are accepted. That helps a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. What about persistence?
1: You have to have <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> it's you know, just like, it's I, like I have
1: bad news for you, you have to have it.
0: <laughs> that's right. You have to be willing to, you know, okay, that didn't work, I have to come back, and that didn't work, and I have to come back. And yeah, uh, having that kind of drive, uh, the, the patience, uh, to persist, uh, because I think many people like to see things immediate like and they expect like immediate resolution or an immediate feedback that this is working isn't where sometimes it just takes quite a while for people to just like internalize mm-hmm. it, and then eventually it comes out yeah, and
1: it also takes a while for those that are participating to also understand what they want um, sometimes you be, you enter uh, into a conversation in which uh, the other party believes that this is the key value uh, to to trade, let's say, or not. And suddenly, it's something else. So, mm-hmm. a process allows also to discover what is it that really matters in, in that uh, in that conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. And the other thing too, I'm sure that once you're all like in, a, when you're together. It's like a socialization, too. You get to really see people as people rather than a representative. Correct. And having those human relationships always helps, especially if there's a trust level uh, that has to be built.
1: Correct. It, it helps a lot. So the process in, in, the, in this organization was very much about that. We did have to organize many expert meetings to analyze subjects and then get to official ministerial meetings and uh, we had to facilitate a, l- a lot of exchange and to produce also uh, data and uh, an analysis that will help reframe some of the subjects. So for example, with respect to the oil market, if you think uh, the, of uh, at any moment that there's a big sh- movement in prices, people immediately ask, why? What happened? Mm-hmm. And that means trying to find where the supply-demand balance is. So you're looking for data, and it's very there's a, a huge market just for, just for finding that data, and it's not that easy to find. And then, so you say, okay, that, this may be because there's an excess supply or excess demand, but then the next question is, why? Why are we suddenly finding ourselves in this situation? So that takes you to, well, because we made X decision 10 years ago that affected the path of supply. Mm-hmm. that takes you to the realm of energy outlooks and what uh, might be the future of the energy industry. Because what you believe today about what's going to happen in 10 or 20 years will determine your investments today and eventually will affect what happen- happens exactly. in 10 years, right? Yeah. So, uh, so for example, those two things imply a lot of work uh, from experts everywhere, from uh, government uh, agencies, around the planet just to collect information, to create the mandates, to have the infrastructure, the institutional capacity, the technology, uh, to aggregate this information so that a group of ministers can have it. And once they have it, then there's the next challenge to see if everyone agrees on the interpretation of what what that is and and the rest. So um, our role in terms of uh, helping the process was about this uh, data generation process a collaboration with many agencies, think not only the IA and OPEC, but UN statistics, Eurostat, APEC, and uh, Latin American agencies, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and then the collaboration with all of these governments and, and doing, making this dialogue happen. And also, it's a big discussion, for example, on how prices are, how prices come about. And there's an interaction between physical and financial markets. That is now much uh, more relevant to to how prices come about. And so we also had to do a lot of work on those things. So all of these things implicitly or explicitly are about coalition building, about creating a knowledge space, about creating a negotiating and dialogue space that builds up to some perspective on on how the planet is working Mm -hmm. or at least the, the oil market is working.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things you mentioned, uh, which is another thing that I think is very challenging, and again, we we try to think about how we can instill this, the skill sets and expertise in this is data, you know, what evidence and who collects the evidence, what are the assumptions in the evidence, what are the gaps, because oftentimes – The evidence is not there, and the best policy is not to make a decision when there's still this— Do no harm. (laughs) Do no harm, exactly. Um, So when you were doing all this and you were in this, you know, very uh, high-level policymakers thinking about this, how did you all decide what information and, and data you could trust How did you build that? Was it really the academic community that you went to because they're supposed to be objective? Was it the industry because they had more technical expertise and knew how to collect it? Uh, Or if it was all of the above, how did you discern what you were really going to pay attention to? um, And if you didn't have the data, what you were going to do the next time to have it? Because that's a very big challenge, I think. I'd like to hear how you maneuvered there.
1: we, We did resort to all sources. Um, I, I, without a doubt, academic uh, sources were very useful because they are analytical. They overall tend to be reviewed and refereed, and mm-hmm. um, that means that there's um, that you can there's trust in the information that you that um, that you're receiving or are analyzing. But but it's not enough. We by data, I will also say include insights and perspectives from stakeholders, from industry, from society, from anyone involved, because it also helped not only in um, maybe refining or fine-tuning the, the quality of the information, but in interpreting better what that data point uh, meant, for example. Mm-hmm. So it was very useful always to have as many perspectives as possible uh, with respect to a particular issue, because again, we we are making policy and we were making policy sometimes um, at a very fast pace, yeah. and we had to correct constantly our perspectives or at least check them rather from as with as many views as possible. So, um, but but there's no way around it. Data is non-negotiable. Trust the evidence, tr- mm-hmm. as opposed to authority.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Right.
1: Use that yes. first, and then complement with, with, mm-hmm. with the rest. But the the hard part is that you do have to be making decisions with very imperfect information. There's a moment in which I won't call it a hunch, uh, but but you have to make a decision with information that is not ideal yes, and you don't have the luxury of waiting three months to see if somebody sends you the information or if some if there's one more run on the econometric analysis and you can do something, you just have to make the decision.
0: Mm-hmm. That, I think, is critical because that's the world. I mean, that's not just in the environment you're in, especially if you're doing things that are creative or cutting-edge or transformative. You know, there's not going to be that data. Mm-hmm. So you can put together the data that you already have and it doesn't really totally align or there's a big gap in there. And then you have to think about how do I develop a policy or an approach that is flexible that if I do get some more data, number one, I'm going to do no harm. But then how do, how do I keep an eye on what's really going on so that if I see some changes, we can have that policy can be flexible?
1: And that's where schools like this one make a difference because that's where the framework in the, in the absence of sufficient information, you still have a framework yes. about, and with, that you use to think about a problem mm-hmm. or a challenge. And usually that framework has the benefit of accumulated evidence in principle mm-hmm. if uh, there's a lot of case studies and the rest from past experiences.
0: The expertise is built. The Correct. capacity yeah. is built. So, yeah. so
1: you need that. Uh, and that's probably, uh, well, in my view at least, uh, the only sound way out. Because otherwise it's just all hunches or yes. uh, intuition or whatever. Or anecdotal. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So all these uh, theory and methods that are being taught at schools like this one is very important mm-hmm. to think um, systematically about an issue and about the possible solutions, even if or if you don't have the all the information that you need.
0: Mm -hmm. That's why it's really important that you're here talking to the students, not just this podcast, but they're going to have a chance to talk to you. Uh, Aldo, Mm -hmm. I want to switch to your last job. Mm -hmm. Strategies for Mexico (laughs) 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 on hydrocarbons. Mm -hmm. Um, How would you compare that experience working within the country with all the stakeholders to the experiences you had in the international? Was it easier? Was it harder? Because... You know, you're in a country that may have uh, – it wasn't a solid voice, you know, like you're representing Mexico in a larger community. When you're really starting to get more into the nitty-gritty of that, mm-hmm. how how was that for you? Uh, that's the first question. And then if you – when you answer that, um, when you grow something and you put so much of yourself into a strategy and then you leave no. – uh, <laughs> How do you feel about the sustainability of that strategy uh, in terms of how governments can sustain that?
1: Let's see. Well, first of all, it's always a privilege, an honor to serve in one's country and try to make a difference. That uh, is very meaningful, and um, it's a big responsibility. And uh, I, a key difference between what I was doing based in, in Saudi Arabia and in Mexico is that In Saudi, I was running this international organization, Mm -hmm. not representing my country. I mean, I'm definitely Mexican, but I was the head of an an institution of 75 member countries, and I was uh, accountable to, to all. But the one drawback of those positions is that you cannot make the final decision on a specific Policy. You're you help a lot in in decision mm-hmm. finding and searching. It, yes. Uh-huh. But the the final outcome is up to the countries, the ministers. Uh, in Mexico, I had the privilege of working on doing policy and steering policy in a, the direction that we felt was very important. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was a fascinating and challenging experience. We were tasked um, to make to create this new reality in a short period of time, because the country needed and needs a stronger energy sector Mm -hmm. and much more investment and much uh, much much more dynamism and uh, and technology driven growth than we've been having for for a while, and that meant uh, constant effort and constant hard choices and. As I was also referring to, decision making made without sufficient uh, information. Yeah. A lot of uh, interagency coordination and uh, coalition building and negotiations. Even if you have five agencies that are tasked with the same objective and everyone shares the same objective, it doesn't mean that everyone agrees on how to get there. <laughs> Or even if everyone agrees to get there, they are subject to different bureaucratic rules or standards or Mm -hmm. whatever. So it's a very complex process very Mm -hmm. soon. So uh, getting the hands-on doing policy was fantastic. And I must say, having come also from academia and being in this academic setting, it made a huge difference for me to have those tools and those skills Mm -hmm. uh, when thinking about how to create markets when where they weren't
0: mm-hmm.
1: so we had to transform a state monopoly into a set of markets on my count our energy industry you could say that it's composed of 52 broadly defined markets 52. Uh, at least 35 required uh, uh, work to make them look wow. competitive right and each one of them has a specific characteristic that requires a different uh, application or something. And it was my training in academia that helped me sort through many of these issues and challenges. And uh, yes, it it makes a big difference Mm -hmm. to have have that. But uh, it's more fun and a huge Mm -hmm. responsibility as well. And sometimes it's very daunting Mm -hmm. to realize that you're making decisions that are affecting so many. And um, of course one believes in them, and uh, we were a very committed group uh, with a very committed um, Department of Energy of Mexico, uh, very committed secretary and, and president to make this. Which makes reality. a
0: difference. Your leadership um, is behind you and uh, supporting you. Yes. Uh, yeah.
1: So, how does it feel when one's out? Yes. Well, you learn that you have your moments, yeah. right? And of course, one has strong feelings about what we w- one did, what I did. and and the team as well. Um, I don't know. I guess uh, it's hard sometimes to understand and uh, some perspectives that come afterwards, you feel misunderstood. Mm -hmm. You realize as well that maybe you could have communicated better some of the things you were doing so they were better understood. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are very persuaded that the path we chose is the right one. Uh, now there's an administration that is reviewing that path, mm-hmm. and they are not as persuaded, but they they are very reasonably, I believe, also reviewing what we did, because there's no way we can presume that the, that the truth and the only way out, yes. the only way of doing things is the one that we chose. Mm-hmm. So this new administration has decided that the energy opening that we had in Mexico must be... Analyzed and reviewed, and um, maybe or maybe not relaunched based on your premises. And I mm-hmm. think that's also very valid. Yes. So one has to also understand that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I think it's, it's part of a healthy democratic process as I well. I
0: agree. Yeah? I totally agree with that. Also, it's. Uh the word I'm – I'm trying to find the word for it, but I think one of the things that's really important is that no matter what happens, the fact that people increase the knowledge, increase the expertise, thought about it in a different way, that's always there, whether people accept it. or It just adds to the knowledge base, adds to the experience it, that people have an expertise they bring. So, Alda, before we end this, um, why did you choose to go into the public service and what's kept you there? Because I'm a masochist.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that too.
0: Uh, Is that it?
1: (laughs) Because it's because it's meaningful because uh, having a purpose makes a huge difference because uh, doing something that is bigger than oneself because uh, is just very stimulating. Um, One has to try to Beyond living a mark, just trying to improve things uh, and uh for and then this improve things for the country in which we live, so the community in which one lives as well and um, I've always heard about that uh, I did grow up in a family where politics and public affairs were very relevant, so obviously I was socialized to this type of yes. subjects yes um. My dad was an academic himself, uh, and uh, he was in politics, so this was kind of the daily discussion at home, right, in my DNA. But I I do care about that. I am someone that has always thought about the subjects. I studied them. I was very much involved in my um, graduate studies, trying to understand how to make structural reform work, because that's what my country needed and has been needing over the last 30 years, actually. And um, that was about just making things better. And that's how I got involved in it. So, yes, it's it's very meaningful to me to go beyond a paycheck or just a, a profit. You want to, it's just. It's, it's nice to contribute.
0: Mm-hmm. This is uh, this has been wonderful, and being very open and sharing with us uh, your experiences and your feelings has been. We're very privileged, so we're very happy to have you here. We're happy to welcome you not only on this podcast but to the BLB, LBJ School. So thank you so much.
1: I'll thank go. you so much, very kind.
0: Great to be here. This is Policy on Purpose, a podcast produced by the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. We take you behind the scenes of policy with the people who help shape it. To learn more, visit lbj.utexas.edu and follow us on Twitter or Facebook at the LBJ School. Thank you for listening.